Good morning, Saltbox. What a uh, beautiful worship song by Jocelyn. Oh my goodness, I'm a little teared up and worshiping over here. Jocelyn has a very special place in my heart because she came and led worship for us when we were just a small handful gathered at the Y, uh, YMCA here. So Jocelyn, really special to have you with us today. Thank you. Um, we are in a collection of talks uh, that we've called Defining Moments. Um, I suppose I should also introduce myself. I'm Michael Mattis. I pastor Saltbox Church here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, we're in a collection of talks called Defining Moments. And, you know, we're really in a defining moment um, as a country. We're in a defining moment as not just our church, Saltbox, but the church um, broadly in America and really the churches all around the world. This is quickly becoming a defining moment in our hour. And so this is highly, highly applicable. Last week we were in Ezekiel um, and we looked at the Valley of Dry Bones. That's probably part one to this message. Today we're in Ezekiel 47. And if you'll recall, Ezekiel was a priest that God called to become a prophet. And so what I want to do this morning is I actually want to read one verse out of Ezekiel 43 because it kind of sets the table. Then we're going to read a couple verses out of Ezekiel 47. And then we're going to read two little verses um, that our Jesus uh, said out of John 7. So we're going to start um, in Ezekiel 43 and I'm going to read verse 4. I'm in the NIV. It says, The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Now, important to note here, the glory of the Lord had departed the temple. So, uh, short bit of background, but the people of Israel, so the people of Israel would be synonymous in the Old Testament with um, the church uh, in the New Testament. So, we are, we have been grafted in and, and we are now um, sort of the people of God, those of us who are in Jesus. So in the Old Testament, um, the people of God, uh, the, the nation of Israel literally um, hardened their heart towards God. They became angry. They began to worship other gods. They shifted their gaze, if you will, from King Jesus onto other things. Um, they got distracted and they probably got greedy and they got consumed with their version of the American dream. And you can kind of go on and on and on. But what happened, is, is they literally shifted their gaze off of God. They begin to turn and harden their hearts to him. And, and literally the gracious hand of God is in some, in some ways withdrawn. And so you literally uh, can see in Ezekiel 10, if you wanna go and read there, but the presence of the Lord or the glory of the Lord literally withdraws from the temple of the Lord. So the glory of the Lord that, that is literally sitting and, and parked um, in the Holy of Holies, inside the temple, inside Jerusalem, literally departs. And so what you have left is just the chaos sort of of people. And it's not long before external invading armies come and take over Jerusalem and capture people and haul them off. And so Ezekiel, from this place of sort of hopelessness, is actually um, by the eyes of God, or maybe even he's having probably a vision here, but he's, he's looking into the future and he's literally seeing a time when um, the presence of God or the glory of God is gonna come back into the temple. And I would say for us in this moment in history, the, you know, COVID-19 has been upon us. We have uh, 
all manner of tensions and divisions sort of tearing apart our country. And in some way, it feels to me like the gracious hand of God has actually departed. We're gonna talk more about that. And then we're also gonna talk about what it actually takes inside a people and then inside a family, inside a church, um, inside a country, so that the gracious hand of God can return. So I think it's very important that we actually begin with this because you literally get to see the glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. So the glory of the Lord is going to return. Then we're going to read verse uh, chapter 47. We're going to read 12 verses out of, out of this, and this is the way that goes. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. Now, the man here is probably a pre-incarnate Christ Jesus. So he's not given the name Christ. He's not given the name Jesus. Jesus hasn't even come. He's not going to come for a number of hundred years. But this is literally a pre-incarnate Christ Jesus. And it says, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar, and he then brought me to the north gate, and he led me around to the outside, to the outer gate, um, outside the outer gate facing east, and the water trickled from around the south. Now, important note here. When Jesus, uh, if, if you haven't read Jesus on the Mount of Olives, I'd encourage you to do so. This is literally when he rides into Jerusalem, and it's the last kind of ride he takes down into Jerusalem from a, a, a really a hill called the Mount of Olives. It's an olive grove. But he passes um, down that hill. The people are singing Hosanna, and he enters through the east gate. So uh, uh, immediately what you can begin to see here is, is the water. There is this, this water in this scene, and the water is a very positive um, symbol. It's a symbol sort of of, of God, as we're going to see, but this water is literally coming out of the gate that our Jesus would have rode in. So hang with me. Water's trickling from out of the gate. Verse three, as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. That's about uh, 500 yards or five American football fields. Um, and he led me into water that was ankle deep. Then he measured off another 500 yards and he led me into water that was knee deep. And then he measured off another thousand, uh, and he led me into water that was up to the waist. And then he measured off another thousand, and now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he said to me, son of man, do you see this? Now, let me pause here just a second. What you have is uh, this is the river of God that we're beginning to look at. And it's literally flowing out of the most holy place, the place where God's glory and presence would have dwelled in the temple. His presence is just returning to the temple. And as a result of his presence returning to the temple, we're seeing water of uh, the river of God sort of flowing out of the temple. And so when he gets, uh, Ezekiel gets to this place where it's a river, um, I spent some time in Alaska a number of years ago, and we would have to ford at times rivers. And the, and the business of fording a river, especially with a backpack on, is very dangerous. If you have ropes and, you know, it can, it can kill you. Um, so, so literally, Ezekiel here gets to this river that no one could cross. And I, I think it's probably important that you um, get in your mind that the river at this point is synonymous with the glory of God. You could even use an Old Testament word, the, the Shekinah glory of God or the presence of God and the tumult of God. The presence of God is so thick that a person can't go out there and live. It's a little bit like the 
um, the high priest who would go into the most holy place uh, once a year. And literally, if that priest went into the most holy place, the very presence of God, where the, the place of God and the presence of God dwelt, and their heart wasn't prepared, they would die. Really, uh, really unusual because um, God's presence and his glory was so powerful. I hear a lot of people say, I want the presence of God, I want the presence of God, but I don't know, this is a whole nother level. So then in verse six, he, Jesus, asked me, son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I, Ezekiel, arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down to Arabia where it enters the Dead Sea. Now, you need to know a couple things here. Um, in, in Israel, uh, the, land flow, the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee and then um, out of the Sea of Galilee and keeps going in several places, but it ends up in, uh, part of it, in the Dead Sea. And what's interesting about the Dead Sea is it's, it's almost like a salt flat. So it is literally the lowest place on earth. And not only is it the lowest place on earth, there's no fish, there's no animals, there's no wildlife, there's no flowers, there's, there's absolutely nothing that lives there. And when you go down and stand on the banks or put your feet in the water, it is just, um, it is dead. It is absolutely dead. So he's literally saying this water, so the water that originated in the temple of God, hang with me now, it's trickling out from under um, the most holy place coming out of the eastern gate. It goes from ankle deep to knee deep to waist deep to so deep that he can't swim. This water flows towards the dead sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh and swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish. So no fish live in the Dead Sea. They can't live there. But he's literally saying the Dead Sea is gonna be transformed. The Dead Sea is gonna be brought back to life when this river of God enters it because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where this river flows, everything will live. People will fish along the shore. From En Gedi, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish in the Mediterranean Sea. The swamps and the salt marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Verse 12, fruit trees of every kind will grow on both banks of the river, and their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them, and their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Now, This is um, in some ways a similar passage to what we talked through last week, which was the dry bones. And we watch these dry bones sort of go from absolute dry baked death into life. And what we're seeing again is Ezekiel is in this hopeless time, not different from the time we're in, I think. And he is looking by the eyes of the spirit or literally seeing a vision into the future. And he is looking at a time when the river of God will come and the river of God will take that which is dead, that which is destroyed, that which is hopeless, that which is broken, that which is ugly, that that which there is no hope for life. And when the river of God comes into that dead sea, what's going to happen is all of a sudden that salty water is going to turn fresh and trees are going to grow from the banks that bear fruit, not just once a year or in season, but every month all year long. And then inside this dead sea is going to teem with life and fish like the Mediterranean Sea. So you get this um, beautiful imagery again of, of the power of God and the presence of God um, helping, uh, not helping, totally changing something that is dead and making it alive. So the river of God, everywhere the river of God literally is going to teem with life. Ezekiel's looking into the future. So 
There's probably six things, and I'm not going to unpack all these, but I'm just going to quickly go through them that you should know about this passage. Um, and then we're going to read two verses that, that our Lord Jesus spoke in John 7. But this, this passage in Ezekiel 47, um, it, it is foretelling a number of things. It foretells about new life in Christ. Because you literally get to see how we go from our own deadness and our own brokenness and our own hopelessness and how God brings, God's presence comes into us. And as he comes into us, he makes all things new. He brings us to life. The banks of the Dead Sea sprout trees. The, the, the Dead Sea is now springing with life. This thing, this passage also illustrates the rejuvenating work of Christ in the life of an individual. Most people start and they might start sort of uh, tiptoeing in the river, ankle deep, and then may go a little deeper, knee deep, and then waist. And it, it sort of symbolizes um, the, the sanctifying, if you will. That's just a Bible word that talks about um, literally how we as people um, take hold of holiness and make it our own, or how we as people begin to appropriate the life of Christ and how we as people change um, because Michael has been crucified with Christ, you've been crucified with Christ, you no longer live, I no longer live, but now Christ lives in us. So this is also a picture as we get deeper and deeper, almost of New Testament baptism where the old person is gone and now the new person is here. Thirdly, this foretells uh, the command that Jesus gave um, in, in Acts right before he ascended to heaven where he literally said, take this gospel and it must go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. So uh, literally the, the, the going from ankle deep to knee deep to waist to, to over your head and not being able to swim is, in some ways is symbolic of the way the Holy Spirit of God is going to work through the Apostle Paul and the New Testament um, uh, uh, disciples to advance the kingdom. It'll go in concentric circles, literally from Jerusalem to Judea to, to um, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And I, I think an important note here is um, when Jesus said that, America would have been the ends of the earth. Fourthly, I think this thing demonstrates God's heart and his blueprint for the church today. And that's really where we're going to spend much of our time this morning. Um, because I think in this passage, you can actually get, get God's blueprint for the church now. Not just then, but now. And then fifthly, I think it demonstrates God's heart and his blueprint for each of our individual lives in Christ. We're also going to park there this morning. And then lastly, it really foretells of the dramatic return of King Jesus, which we're told is going to be through that same eastern gate, the one he rode a donkey in, the one that now the presence of the Lord has returned to the temple and the water of God, the river of God, is now flowing um, out of. So uh, let, me, let me pause and illustrate. Um, well, first of all, let's flip to our New Testament passage and read that. Uh, John 7, verses 37 through 39. This is Jesus talking, and he literally says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Holy Spirit, would you enliven our hearts and minds? Would you feed us with your word this morning? In your name we pray, amen. My uh, junior and senior year of high school and then my freshman year of college at UNCW, um, I got my hands on this old uh, beat-up sailboat. Um, it, it was right after, it was probably Fran or Bertha, one of these big hurricanes in the late 90s sort of ripped through and 
I think it was a class three, but it was a, a ton of damage was uh, resulted. And we had a family friend and they had a dock and there was a sailboat on the dock and the sailboat had gotten totally destroyed. So um, I don't know how I found out about it, but I did. And I'm like 17. And so I go down there and this sailboat is a mess. It hadn't been sailed in two years and it has like um, uh, oysters literally growing on the bottom. And then it has this uh, scum growing 18 to 24 inches off of that. It's green. The mast uh, in the hurricane was broken in like three places. So it's just like a toothpick. And then the mast fell and then punched holes all through the side of the boat. So it was like on the verge of sinking. And I went down there and I talked to this guy and he was literally like, look, if you'll take it, you can have it. Like, I don't know what to do with it and I'm afraid it's gonna sink. So literally I took uh, this sailboat, I dropped the engine on it and it's a 23 foot sailboat and, and I drove it away and I found somebody and I, I parked it at their dock. And it was funny because Abby and I were, were talking the other night we were out and we had a friend that I hadn't seen in years and years come up to me and he the first thing he said Michael do you remember that old sailboat you had that old piece of junk then the way we used to take it to Masonboro and surf all the time and he and I had a big laugh but but we parked this old piece of junk sailboat and over the next 18 months um, I fixed it up and had the mast welded and patched holes and repaired and new teak and new wiring. And you know, I, I kind of did the whole thing and then I eventually sold it. But the, the point of this uh, story is that I took it out of the water when it was still all beat up and I had it put um, in our side yard. And I'll never forget because um, I remember as soon as I dropped it into the side yard, it was on a trailer and the trailer was like this high so I could work on the bottom. And my dad came out and he said, um, he said, Michael, uh, can I help you with your sailboat? And I was, uh, I had hit a point of some anger and some frustration in my life as a 17 or as an 18 year old kid. And I remember I looked right at my dad and I said, don't touch my sailboat. Don't lay a hand on this thing. I don't want your help at all. And he literally said, okay, if I can do anything or if you want some help, please let me know. And he walked back in and he literally, uh, I rejected him in that moment so um, adamantly and so fiercely, he never helped with the sailboat. I never asked him, I was too proud. And <clears throat> it's a story, it kind of brings tears to my eyes even as I tell it because it's a story um, that, that I think is representative of the way many of us treat God. We get to this point and we go, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want your help. I don't want you in my life. I don't like what you're doing. This is my sailboat. This is my life. This is my thing. You stay out. You know, I've got a son now and we're going through a similar scenario. But what you need to know is that love, real love, uh, divine love gives freedom. So I think an angry dad or um, a, a bitter dad or a frustrated dad might have manipulated me. He might've gotten angry at me. He might've tried to um, change my mind. He, he might've tried to talk me out of it. But literally my dad simply took a few steps back and went, hey, I'm here. 
And I remember over the next 18 months, there was a couple times where he literally went, he'd just poke his head in and go, hey, I'm around if you need any help with that. And I was too proud and too angry to ever ask for his help. He, he didn't force his way in. And I want you to understand something, that, that this is the same story with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God will never uh, force his way in. In other words, when you reject him, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm gonna do it on my timetable. I'm gonna do it in my path. It's my idea. You stay out. He will literally, the Holy Spirit will withdraw. He's not gonna manipulate. He's not gonna shame. He's not gonna force. He's not gonna override your will. No, no, love, true love, is the freedom um, given to people to make decisions. So this is my first point this morning. This is the God who honors your choices and mine. This is literally the Father God who honors our will, who, who, who honors our choices to the point that when we reject him, he will simply withdraw. It's so funny, I was preparing to preach this message and I looked at my dad and we reminisced this story and tears came to my eyes because I'm grieved that I would do that to my own dad. But he taught me something so powerfully that the Holy Spirit of God will never force his way in. Love is the ultimate freedom. And see, God is love. Therefore, uh, God gives people freedom to choose, people freedom to reject him, people uh, freedom to reject his way and his path and his desire for your life and your future. It, love is clear now, make no mistake. It, it, love gives boundaries, but love always gives freedom to choose. And human relationship is, is two people choosing one another. You know, I, I wear a wedding band and it's symbolic of my marriage to Abby and she and I have to get up every day and choose one another. That, that's what love is. If you, if you take away the freedom to choose, it, it's no longer real relationship. It's, it's no longer love. Uh, this, is a, this is graphic, but, but go here with me just a second. Everyone, no matter what background or where you come from or what you believe or anything else, considers uh, rape to be wrong. Why? Because it represents the, the, the total loss of human freedom. It, it's the total loss of choice. It's, it's the total loss, even at some level, of identity. It, it introduces control and force. And we all intrinsically know, because we have the fingerprints of God on us, that it's evil. See, it's, the, it's evil because it's the opposite of freedom. It's the opposite of love. Now, take another step with me here. There's many, many people um, who argue against the existence of a loving God or who would want to talk about that, and they do it on the basis of, of hell. And, and the biblical version of hell is separation from God. And, you know, I, I think the best biblical sense is not that God sends people to hell. No, no, he allows people to choose it. He allows people to say, no. Not your way, no, 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 my way, my boats, my thing, my ideas, you stay out. And when we reject God like that, the Holy Spirit of God will literally withdraw. See, a loving God can only be love if he allows people to choose their destination. God's never gonna force someone into heaven. 
Now, I'm not throwing out the sovereignty of God. Do I think God stands outside of time and he knows the beginning from the end? Yes, yes, absolutely. But I am saying God does give freedom within the bounds of his sovereignty. You know, you could also look at it like this. Each of us as people have as much of the presence of God in our lives as we want. We have as much of the presence of God as we will, um, in some ways you could say, even allow, because when we throw up our hands and go, no, what does he do? Withdraws. In a few minutes, at the end of this message, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to actually surrender your heart to Jesus if you've never been born again. But some of you out there are believers and you might be a believer. This isn't an issue of being saved, but it is an issue of walking consistently in the, in, in the infilling power, the river of God, if you will. It, it is an issue of is God active in your life in a daily way? Be, because to the degree that you're saying no, I'm not saying that, that you're, if you're saying no to God, you can't be a Christian. No, no, Christians, time and time again, you can be, um, have surrendered your life to Jesus and yet there's areas where you're going, no, no, my, my will, my will way. I still had a relationship with my dad during those years I rebuilt the sailboat, but I just wouldn't let him in this area. And I think it's the same thing as many of us as believers and how we relate to God. So the first point is this is the God who honors your choices. Second point is this is the God who returns to us when we humble ourselves and return to him. Now, what we're seeing here in, in Ezekiel 43 and then in Ezekiel 47 is literally Ezekiel is foretelling a time when the people will humble themselves and turn back to God. And when they humble themselves and turn back to God, the presence of God literally will come back and enter into the temple. And when God comes back and enters into the temple, the river of God then is rising up from the temple and is flowing out from the temple into the countryside. So this is the God who returns to us when we humble ourselves and turn back to him. I, I think this is a, the New Testament version of grieving the spirits. So uh, Ephesians um, 4, 30 and 31. And again, this doesn't deal with being saved or not saved. No, no, this has to do with how filled with you are of the spirit, how much fruit of the spirit is in your life. But this is what Ephesians 4, 30 and 31 says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, he withdraws. The very next verse says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. You know, when I sign on social media right now, what I'm essentially seeing is bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. When I interact with Christians right now, in many cases, I am seeing bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. Now listen, Christians, when you uh, dip into that, you are saying to a holy God, I'll have none of you, my way, my will, my direction, I'm the captain of my ship, I'm gonna go where I wanna go, no thank you. And the presence of the Holy Spirit literally withdraws until you surrender your heart and turn back to him. 
See, when we as believers harden our hearts, the presence of God withdraws. Now, this is true for individuals. When we as individuals harden our hearts, God, God withdraws. He, he, he leaves us. It doesn't mean we're not saved, but it means we're not actively walking in the infilling and daily empowering of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're sort of living our Christian life in our own strength and in our own steam. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't want any of that. This is also true for families. Families can harden their hearts and, and close themselves against God. And no, 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 my way. And the Holy Spirit departs. This is true for churches. Churches can shut the door to God so that he departs. This is also true for nations. Let us not take for granted that God has historically blessed our nation because we've blessed him. But if we are unable to bless and honor the Lord of the temple, the God, the creator of heaven and earth, he will and he may have withdrawn from us. See, the fundamental distinguishing mark of the people of God is the presence of God. It's, it's Yahweh. It was true then in the Old Testament, and it's true now. In, in some ways, this is the ultimate view of the new creation. I, I'm now a new creation, new in Christ. Christ has made me New, old things have gone, 1 Corinthians 5, 17. So the first thing I'm pointing out here this morning is this is the God who honors your choices. The second thing is this is the God who returns to us when we return to him. The third thing that I wanna point out is this is the God who is the source of life. He's the place from which all life radiates outward. It, you know, it's the, this is a core value of Saltbox. It's outward focused. It's, it's literally a core value of Jesus. He starts with Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and to the ends of the earth. This is sort of parallel imagery, if you will, to this valley of dry bones we talked about last week. But the river of God literally comes down into the Dead Sea, and suddenly the Dead Sea is teeming with life. It's it's the same as the dried bones being brought to life. The river of God is the presence of God. So let's talk for a second about how this passage, the, the, the river of God being restored, um, it becomes a blueprint for what the church should look like. There are many in the body of Christ right now who are discussing many things about the church. And one of the things that gets discussed um, all the time, in, in addition to style, I mentioned style last week, but another thing that gets discussed is church size um, or how the church should meet. So um, the house church has always been a powerful movement depending on how much persecution is happening in the country. In fact, in countries with great persecution like Iran and China, the house church is flourishing. Then you have the more corporate church and people get in these big arguments over whether it should be a house church or a corporate church and I wanna go, you're missing the point. The point isn't whether it's house or whether it's corporate. It's always got to be both. The people of God always gather in small gatherings and break bread and fellowship with one another, but then they also come together and worship corporately, whether that's an online platform or in some big building or out in a field or under a tent or, or wherever it happens. It has always worked that way throughout history. But listen to me. The church is the people of God gathering around the presence of God in such a way that the river of God is able to flow through them to change a city, to change a society, to change a nation. 
And when people come together around anything other than the presence of God, you're building a social construct with human rules that is, is destined to die. Church is about people coming together, congregating around the presence of God through which the river of God can then flow out of and change cities and life. The question is, in America, as we look at church and then as we look at churches, is not whether you like a church or whether you like the worship, or whether you like the preacher, or whether you think what he's wearing is cool, or she's doing is this or that, whether their social media page looks good. No, 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 I don't care about all that because God doesn't care about all that. The question is, are the people of God coming together around the presence of God? Has the Lord of the temple come back into the temple and literally is therefore the river of God rising up from the temple and flowing out to change all nations and all people from it? That's church. It happens with every outfit and every color and every grouping and every building and everywhere that the people can gather. But when God's presence is central and the people of God come together around the presence of God, that is the thing that defines church. So my first point is this is the God who honors your choices. The second point is this is the God who returns to us when we return to him. My third point is this is the God who is literally the source. Remember, it's, it's, it's his um, presence being returned to the temple, the Holy of Holies. He becomes um, the source and that river flows out to change everything. Now, flip paradigms. Fourth point, this is the God who makes the salty waters fresh. This is the God who brings the dead to life. Now, in the Old Testament, <clears throat> the, the holy of holies, the most holy places where the presence of God dwells. In the New Testament, where is the sanctuary of God? You, me, right? That's why this whole passage actually ends with verse 12, and it literally says, every month the trees will bear fruit because water from the sanctuary flows to them. Now listen to me. The river of God is gonna bring life wherever it goes and this sanctuary from which the river of God comes is, um, it, it's literally why uh, old school sort of churches, if you go old school, 80s and 90s in, in America, would call the place that they gathered the sanctuary. And the idea was that the people of God were coming together around the presence of God and literally the presence of God was so strong and so transformative that the river of God would then rise up from that sanctuary and flow forth and change a city. You know, now we mostly do churches and we gather in auditoriums, and I, I actually tend to like that word better because I'm the sanctuary now. You're the sanctuary. You are the temple of God. I'm the temple of God. Those of us who are in Jesus. So the presence of God now congregates where? In me and in you, which means the river of God, which is what we just read Jesus says, literally, the river of God will rise up and flow. Let's read that. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, whoever believes in me, as scripture has says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And when people see living water, when people see life, when people see hope, when people see joy, they know something's different. They know the tangible presence and power of a holy God is literally there. So, so listen to me, church. Everywhere you go, you ought to be teeming with life. If you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, 
And if, if you're not saying, no, I'm gonna do it my way, everywhere you go, you gotta be teeming with life. That means every post you make on social media should team with the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus. That means the way you interact with your family and your kids, that means the way you interact with students that you go to school with or don't go to school with right now. That means the way we interact with our neighbors. That means when God plants us anywhere, be it a workplace, be it a neighborhood, be it a school, be it a college campus, wherever he has planted you, that means that if you are in fact teeming with life, that that group, that surroundings, that sphere of influence will never be the same because the presence of God has come upon you and the rivers of God are literally rising up from within you and people can't help but see that you're joyful. Jocelyn just led worship and it was so powerful because there's an authenticity to her walk with God. She leads and I always brings tears to my eyes because there's something authentic about the way she leads. It's not that it's, it's she's perfect or it's perfect any more than I'm perfect. But what it is is when you have an authentic person who surrendered to King Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus, would you use the likes of me? Would you flow through me? Would you fill me with your presence? Those are the people that change the world. Not the critical ones, not the angry ones, not the ugly ones. No, 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 it's the people who are filled with the life of God. It's people who have the presence of God in them and the river of God literally rising up and flowing from them. You know, Jesus in John 10, 10 said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, this river transforms individuals, and when an individual is transformed, the family unit that you're in is gonna be, be affected. The, the rippling concentric circles go out. Uh, this is true of, of families. When, when families walk with Jesus in a powerful way, neighbors know it, people know it. This is true of churches. This can even be true of countries or not. When a people or a family or a church um, sit and all they're able to do is take in, what's the Dead Sea do? It just takes in and it just takes in and the water evaporates in the dry heat of the desert and all that's left is this high salinity and it's dead. The mark, the blueprint of a church is literally a place around which the presence of God is, the people of God congregate around the presence of God so that their own lives are transformed and the river of God rises up and flows through individuals, families, neighborhoods, churches, and nations. You wanna change the course of a nation, you change the course of an individual. You wanna change the course of a family, you wanna change the course of a marriage, you change the course of an individual. And someone who has been so impacted by the radical grace and love of King Jesus will not only never be the same, everyone they come in contact with cannot be the same because the joy of the Lord is their strength. The kindness of the Lord is their strength. What emanates from them is the very love of God. Not anger and out malice and ugliness and slander and bitterness. No, 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 no. It's the presence of God around which people congregate. A.W. <clears throat> Tozer, I love Tozer, but he said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Oh, God, have mercy on us. 
He goes on to say, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they uh, did would stop and everybody would know the difference. There's a passage where Moses in the Old Testament is talking to God and he says, literally, God, if you don't go up, I'm, I'm not going up. Church, for me, if, if we are not a church that is congregating around the presence of God, if we are not a church that is coming together for, for him and him alone, I don't have time to do this on Sunday morning. I'd rather go surfing. But when the presence of God is all of a sudden preeminent and central and a group of people are coming together around the, the presence of God and, and literally the life of God and the joy of God and the love of God is rising up from within them like rivers of living water and flowing out to change families and neighborhoods and nations, count me in. I'll hang out my surfboard and never go again. Because more than anything, it's about this relationship and the presence of God. Ezekiel 47 concludes with this promise that this river that flows from the presence of God will literally flow into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a dead and cursed area. It's, it's, it's all dead. And it will literally, the river of God will go into this Dead Sea and it will bring life and these huge trees will grow up and they will bear fruit and the banks of this river, they'll bear fruit forever and the entire Dead Sea is gonna come to life and teem with life. Now listen, I don't know about you, but the only way to walk with God is to understand that his presence comes into us and changes us and fills us and then his, his river literally rises up from within us like Jesus said and flows out to change those around us. That is what Ezekiel 47, that is what Ezekiel saw and is foretelling here. See, the idea of the church is that everywhere two or three people are gathering in the name of Jesus, doesn't matter if it's online, it doesn't matter if it's on a Zoom call or on a telephone call, but when two or three people are gathering and the most holy presence of the Lord Jesus transforms, what is present there is the power to transform lives, to change marriages, to change individuals, to break addictions, to break anger and malice and rage, to bring unity where there's nothing but disunity and divide. Now, this is... This is the God that raises the dead. This is the God that takes the dead sea and brings it to life. This is the God that can take what is broken and make it beautiful, but it must come to the, to the spot where you are able to acknowledge how broken you are and surrender it all to King Jesus. See, the church is the people of God congregating around the presence of God and allowing the river of God to flow through them to transform the society in which they live. May we as a church be found so deep in that river we can no longer touch the ground. I'm convinced in the words of D.L. Moody that the world has yet to see what God could do with a man or a woman and a group of men and women who are fully surrendered to King Jesus. If you're watching or listening or wherever you're consuming this this morning, if you've never given your life to King Jesus, if you've never experienced this life-giving power, if you've never seen these rivers of living water that can well up within you, if, if you recognize that you're dead and bankrupt in your own life, you can pray with me. It's a supernatural transaction. It's a transaction in which you surrender all and acknowledge his lordship and ask him to come and live inside of you. If that's you, if you're listening, don't go one more moment. No, no, no. This is the time. 
you pray with me right now? Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm broken and lost without you. I acknowledge that you are the creator God, the Lord of heaven and earth. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I acknowledge that you came to earth, were crucified, dead, and buried. I acknowledge that you rose again on that third day, that you conquered death and hell and sin. And I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come and live inside of me, to transform me, to make the dead alive, to breathe life into the dead sea, to make it teem with life. Would you walk with me and fill me? In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. There's a number on your screen. You can text, you can call. There's also an email address. If you prayed that prayer with us, we'd love to get a Bible in your hands. You need to get into a Bible regularly. It's the word of God. It's the food of God. It's the bread of God. You need to get baptized in water at some point. That's literally a picture of this river where the old you is washed away and the new you comes. You need to get connected with a local church that, that preaches the whole gospel, the whole Bible. And you need to be filled with the spirit. We'd love to help you with those things. The second group, though, that I want to look into the camera and speak to very clearly today We're in a Christian context and environment where we are acting less Christianly, where I see less of the presence and power of Jesus activated in the lives of individuals than I've ever seen. And it appears to me like the gracious hand of God may be pulling back from us. And I would ask you to join me in allowing the Holy Spirit to sift your own heart And to go, Lord, where are those Dead Sea areas? Where are those dry bones areas in my own heart that the river of God literally needs to come into and redeem and refresh and make new so that they can teem with life? Church, listen to me. If we will ruthlessly surrender our lives to him, he will not only make us new, he will make us beautiful and use us to engage and reach a lost society, to be beacons of hope, beacons of joy, beacons of love in the darkness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we go from this place today, I pray that for those of your people who have fallen asleep, who are slumbering, that you would wake us up Lord, for those of us who've fallen into these Dead Sea areas, those of us who've downshifted into spots and just given up, Lord, I pray that you would wake us up and I pray that the very river of God would come in and breathe new life, that we could again teem with life. Lord, I pray that we as a people could lead the charge on repenting on behalf of our nation and asking that the gracious hand and presence of God would again come on our nation and come on our churches and change us and redeem us and restore us. Father, we love you and we praise your holy name. We're gonna be here again next week at the same time. And I wanna look into the camera and say, as you go today, go with the revelation that if you're in Jesus, he's in you. Go with the revelation that 
If your heart is contrite before him, if you're surrendered to him, that literally the river of God is then not only overshadowing you, but it's now filling you and overflowing from you and go with the calling and destiny of changing your family, your marriage, your city, your neighborhood. God wants to use people like us to change the world. We'll see you next week.